Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade, joined here in the studio by Mike, Dr. Berg, and we are going to be discussing today the Lord's Prayer for Theology 110, Intro to Theology. This is part of the COVID-19 online learning sessions. Uh, Listeners, uh, regular listeners, you'll notice there's been a lot more released in the last few days. uh, WLC has had to go online for learning. So Mike and I are using a variety of means for instruction. Um, I've created a YouTube channel. Uh, then now I uh, will take my lunch. Uh, if you're interested, you're free to check out videos there. Subscribe on YouTube. But uh, we're also making podcast episodes. <clears throat> and so uh, we're doing this for his classes and for my classes. And so when it's our own class, we kind of take the lead. But having both of us here hopefully gives a little bit more of a classroom-type feel as we're kind of able to interject, ask questions, bounce stuff off of each other. It's a little bit more prep work as Mike ends up prepping a little bit to talk about my stuff and I end up prepping a little bit to talk about his. But we hope the format is a little bit more conducive than uh, you know, making hour-long videos and people having to stare at our... Uh, I, I like Mike's face, but my face especially... Um, <laughs> And uh, in the YouTube app, right, you can't get up and move around. You, you have to have that app open to be watching. So we are releasing these through the podcast site so that it will be in the various podcatchers for students to listen. Listeners, we hope you'll get something out of these too. These are uh, lectures that are supplemental to the readings the students are doing. So if you haven't done the readings, you should still be able to follow along quite well. Please do not unsubscribe because your phone is getting blitzed with stuff. Uh, You can change your setting in your podcatcher to, um, you know, download most recent or download or keep only two most recent. So don't let us use up all your storage. But please do keep subscribing. We're hoping, though, this will provide an abundance of of content for people down the road who might be interested in seeing what we do here at the college. It's a little glimpse into the classroom, even though it's somewhat artificial. Uh, But with that being said, today we'll be discussing the Lord's Prayer. I have three videos on the YouTube channel, uh, which once again is Then Now I Will Take My Lunch, uh, that if you want to follow, you can. Those three videos wrap up the commandments, the 8th and ninth and 10th uh, commandments. I think I have three, maybe I have two videos. Um, And then this is our fourth podcast session. We've covered the first, second, and third articles of the Creed, and now we're in the Lord's Prayer. We are not going to be doing uh, videos or audio sessions on each petition. The students will read the whole thing in the large catechism. That's right, students listening, you will read the whole thing in the large catechism. But this is just kind of an introduction and an overview of the Lord's Prayer for context. So students, be reading, take your notes on your readings. But uh, Dr. Berg and I will just be talking in general context here, a survey and introduction (coughs) on the Lord's Prayer. So... Luther chooses the Lord's Prayer to be one of the six chief parts for the Catechism because the Lord gives it as a model for prayer. Uh, his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray, and, uh, and Jesus gives us this prayer. This is not the only prayer for us to pray, but it is a useful prayer, and it's a prayer that lends itself to other prayers. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, for instance, there's nothing wrong with us stopping at each petition, thinking about what that means, and praying for things in prayer. Uh, connection with those petitions, but we'll be discussing this uh, largely as a uh, model for prayer, Um, and so this will hopefully uh, 
help with that. So, Micah, if you're thinking back to your parish days, how you would teach this, or to your classroom instruction, or just in general for your own devotional life, how you think of the Lord's Prayer, um, if we're thinking of the Catechism now, we've had the Ten Commandments, we get the Creed, and now here he puts the Lord's Prayer, he inserts prayer, um, and then we'll get to the sacraments. Anything that comes to mind with the placement of it, or the prayer itself, or how this relates to what's gone before or comes after, anywhere you want to go as we get started on the Lord's Prayer. The first thing I'd like to point out, I think, is uh, when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? They're probably looking for a to-do manual, right? Right. And that's kind of what we like because our default position is let's do something and, and, uh, you know, um, we'll get a check mark by our box. And uh, he just says, our Father who art in heaven. Right. He, he just gives them an example of what to do. And uh, th- that's true. Uh, what what fathers should generally do with children. And this is the father child relationship talking, uh, talking to each other. And uh, so fathers generally, yeah, they're going to give advice on how to do certain things, but it's better just to show them. Right. Um, and so when we taught our children how to pray, we didn't say, okay, here, you know, we're going to first have a petition. Okay, let's define what a petition is. And this, no, we just said, follow my lead, our father who art in heaven. And you put the words on their lips first. And that's how people speak. That's how we teach children to speak. Um, We say, say, I love you, daddy. Say, I love you, mommy. Say, please say, thank you and stuff like that. And it's not like we're saying, oh, we're not going to do anything for the, we're not going to feed the child unless the child asks to, to be fed. What we're doing is putting the lips of this loving relationship, putting the words of this loving relationship on the lips of our children. And by those words, we are going to trust, right? And so, uh, this, this thing of prayer coming at the end of the the six uh, uh, the six chief parts of the catechism is kind of the you na- mean at, coming after the, the yeah towards the, the towards the, the end yeah, yeah. Um, uh, really in the middle but towards the end if you after you know the doctrine right now here we say here's how you speak um, this is how faith works we speak to each other right and so it's not like God needs our prayers it's not like he's going to stop loving us unless we pray but rather he's speaking the words of trust to us so that we can speak the words of trust back to him. And notice that it starts with the relationship father, right? And so right there we could go, we could go on and on about what it means to, to have a relationship with God who is father and not just some force, not some ogre or tyrant, but father. And immediately we should be thinking about baptism, right? That we're adopted into the family of God and Luther said the hardest uh, words of the prayer are our father, right? Uh, First of all, just getting started, but also that is you've defined the relationship here um, that you're asking him, right? You're putting yourself into a position that's one of dependence upon him, right? And, And I think it's a kind of a beautiful picture of the father. And a child, I always imagine that this, uh, you know, since I have daughters, I think about girls and uh, a little girl sitting on the lap of the father and saying, you promised, you know, I mean, we could, I could tell them to brush their teeth and clean their room and do this and do that. And it's it in one ear and out the other. But if I promised two months ago that we were going to go to McDonald's, get an ice cream cone, they're going to remember that. Right. And so <clears throat> it's good for us to 
as Luther would say, shake a fist full of God's promises in his face. You promised, you promised, and even be kind of quite open and maybe even uh, ang angry at God, if we can put it that way, to say, uh, you, you promised, and I imagine a little daughter pounding her little fist on the chest of the father because she's upset about something, right? Throwing a fit. And instead of the father just flinging her aside, uh, grabs her by the, uh, grabs her and holds her and his buries her head into his chest with his arms and calms her down and says it's going to be okay, right? So when I put myself into that father-child relationship, I'm in the right position with prayer. And why? Because he put the words of this loving relationship on my lips. He taught me how to pray, and it is to respond uh, with God with his promises, but also with lament. Um, he knows what you're thinking anyway. You might as well just say it, right? And so there's a difference between the prayer of the Pharisee on the on the street corner, or to put it into modern uh, times, uh, uh, the prayer before any event in America, right? We get some preacher up there, somebody who's going to hold court, and he's going to have this beautiful long prayer, maybe an ex corde pray prayer. But Jesus says, go pray in the closet because this is a personal relationship. Let it out like a fog, Luther said. Just let it out. Don't worry about the grammar, right? Um, when you're talking to your parents, you're not so much concerned with the poetry of your prayer. You just say it. And so it's okay to pray like one thing after another, right? And disjointed. That's okay. This is a relationship you have with your, you, with your father. And, and as you go through the petitions, you see he's giving you the things that you should pray for here. Here is the things that are in this realm, this relationship of father child. These are the things that you should be thinking about and praying about. So I, I think that's a, I try to make it personal when we talk about prayer because it is a personal thing before we get into each of the petitions. Yeah. And so Luther's going to say, there's a few reasons we should be praying. Um, he's going to mention first that God commands it. So it's obedience to God to pray, but more than God just commanding it, it you know, if God were to command us to pray and it said, you know, I, may, I probably won't listen, but I command you to do it. Well, we'd still want to do it. God commands it. But secondly, even more, he promises to listen. Um, and so we pray, amen. Yes, it shall be so um, when we pray. He also uh, arranges the words in the form of prayer for us. So he gives us many models of prayer in the scriptures that we can we can follow. Um, and then he also allows us to be driven to prayer in a fallen world. He hears us uh, at times when desperation drives us to prayer. We've all had those moments where prayer life's not been going great, but then something happens and, and we come into prayer ourselves. He then uh, contrasts true prayer with the prayer of what he called the monks and priests. Um, we not be we need not be praying uh, needlessly. We need not be unduly repetitive. We ought not hope that our prayers are meritorious, meaning that they change our relationship with God, but we pray in the security of having a relationship with God. And so it's interesting, too, that the, the prayer that Jesus gives us is a very direct prayer, uh, and it's a short prayer. This is not uh, drawn out, and it's it's not a uh, a blathering or a blabbering prayer. Uh, but it is as Jesus himself in the Gospels says, <clears throat> you know, tell God what you need, let him know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that's important, as you point out, Mike, it's holding God to his promises. These are imperatives that we're praying, and, and these relate to things he's promised us. So even give us this day our daily bread. 
that's not necessarily a promise of Panera bread or French bread or you know, Topper's cheese sticks bread or I don't know. All all of your fancy breads. Yeah, but it's a provision for our physical needs. Um, lead us not into temptation is, is not a promise uh, that there will not be temptation, um, but it's a prayer that God will protect us from it and then ultimately deliver us out of it to deliver us from evil as well. Um, many Christians will do the sign of the cross at that petition in the prayer, recognizing this this relates to our baptism. And so prayer is something a Christian will want to do. Maybe just briefly, Mike, we can hit on. Um, sometimes you'll hear debates, well, should you do spontaneous, extemporaneous prayer, right? You're just coming up with it as you go. Or written prayer, prayer books, pre-prepared prayer. Uh, is there a difference between the two? Is one better than the other, Mike? Do both have a place? What are your thoughts on that? I think both have a place. Um, I already made the contrast between somebody who's kind of showing off with their prayer, showing off their piety. Uh, public prayer is fine and great, but it's a personal thing, so go pray in the closet. But um, just like the father puts the words on the lips of the child, and in this case, the father in heaven, pray our father who art in heaven, he says to his children. So the church has some wisdom for us, right? And so there's these great prayers, right? St. Patrick has a prayer, uh, you know, uh, the, the great litanies of the church, the prayers of the day in church, those kinds of things. The offices, you know, matins. Absolutely. And um, it forms our thought, right? Um, it forms our, our, our wisdom. And so just in the way uh, not only do the parents teach language to the children, so do, does the community right? For better or for worse. Um, and so you, well, just think about it this way. Uh, we've talked about this before that just amazing how linguistics can, uh, 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 the, the study of linguistics can pinpoint somebody, uh, when they were born, where they were born, where they grew up. I, I think I've told a story of, uh, hadn't lived in California since I was like in eighth grade. And years later, someone said, you, you're from California because I can tell because you said the way you say your A's. So the people around us, um, the dialect that is spoken, the, the different phrases, you know, it's a, it's a elevator in America, but a lift in, in the United Kingdom, those kinds of things. So the community around us teaches us how to speak and how to think. And so the church is a community. And so we learn something from um, Luther and from Anselm and from Augustine and from St. John of Damascus and Chrysostom and all this kind of stuff. It really is kind of this beautiful diversity in it, and it helps us in, in different times. And I, I, I'm sure right now flooding, um, <clears throat> flooding the Internet is all sorts of ancient prayers of, of, and thoughts from uh, people who went through something so much worse than coronavirus, right? And, and the plagues in the medieval ages and, and all these kinds of places. We we hear these prayers throughout scripture and the history of the church. And so I, I don't think of reciting prayers that have been written and been used by other people as something that is a negative. It's not natural, right? It's not enthusiastic as in God in me. It's not turned inward. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not authentic in that way, and so it doesn't count. I see it as the community teaching us the faith and teaching us how to have a relationship with our father and just like an aunt or an uncle, just like a teacher or a coach or something like that would affect the way we, we speak and therefore the way we think. 
Yeah, and I think part of it depends on setting too. Um, a, a prayer book and um, prepared prayers, as you know, Mike, um, can be very uh, helpful in a personal setting. It helps us learn how to pray. There may be times where uh, in that personal setting, extemporaneous prayer makes a lot of sense as well. I will say, uh, just when it comes to in the church service, big fan of prepared prayers. Yeah, You can kind of tell, some pastors are very good at this, or not all pastors, but many pastors, you can really tell when they're winging it. Um, and there it's good to remember that pastor isn't just, this isn't his personal prayer time. Mm-hmm. He's trying to lead people along in prayer too. And I think there to have prayers where that are well-crafted, where the wording is clear, where there's a clear train of thought, uh, is just something that's good to do in service to our people. Um, I've heard some rather humorous even mix-ups of, of yeah, winging yeah. it, accidental prayers for the dead, which we don't do in Lutheranism, for instance. I, I got a couple. Do <laughs> you want to hear a couple? Sure. So um, at my church where I served as a vicar, when the offering came up, they had a little prayer book that people would write prayers in, and then you had like five seconds to put these prayers in there, right? And so I had like, you know, mixed up the the number of years that somebody was married that was clearly like not as many years as their oldest child, you know. <laughs> um, uh, my father has a great one. He, he said he was praying for uh, a wedding that occurred the Saturday night, uh, the Saturday before the Sunday service. And he wanted to say, um, you know, that uh, Bob and Judy got, uh, had their marriage vows uh consecrated before the Lord's altar yesterday and he accidentally said consummated their wedding was consummated before the Lord's altar Uh and the way he tells the story is great he says I could literally see the words coming out of my mouth and I was trying to grab them and put them back (laughs) into my mouth but it was too late and so write it down guys Uh, uh, write it down because you are teaching think about you are teaching in a formal way the children of, of this faith. And so it's one thing one-on-one with your child to have this conversation. But if you're a teacher, you want to be very clear. And for know? the sake of the people requesting the prayers and for the sake of the people being prayed for, you want it to be very clear. And and it'd be a prayer that um, it's, right, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in a thoughtful way. I, I got to the point because I would have the same thing where five minutes before I get a request and you're, you know, scrambling down on paper, where I would tell people, you know, please send prayer requests by, you know, Saturday at 5 p.m., email call, let, you know, mm-hmm. whatever's best. Um, now, there's always some that are, if they're in an emergency help, yeah. that morning, yeah. you can't help it, so I'm not saying that. But I, I felt um, I was able to give more attention to and be more thoughtful about the prayer because the people listening to these prayers, too, are hopefully praying for these people throughout the week as well. And that provides a model for the prayer they'll be praying throughout the, the week, too. Um, maybe, Mike, then we can kind of take the address and the petitions just one by one and see what key points we want to hit on. Um, I will uh, use the small catechism. This is the Wisconsin Synod translation um, as we go. But first, we have our Father in heaven. What does this mean with these words? God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children so that we may pray to him as boldly and confidently as dear children, ask their dear father. Any initial thoughts that come to you, Mike, with the address? You know, I when I would teach this on, on a, to the catechism kids, I'm like, you're writing a letter, right? And uh, where is uh, where where is God right now? You know, and uh, and uh, you don't just say um, I'm writing to Grandma and hope it gets there. 
where does she live? Oh, she lives in she you know she lives in Mankato, Minnesota. So you put Mankato, Minnesota. Well, where's God? Well, he's in heaven. It is literally, quite literally, an address. But also that our Father is up there ruling all things for us. And of course, we already talked about the baptismal thing, that just the relationship of Father right there. And I think that's big that when we say Father, that we understand why he is our Father. This isn't just in a universal sense that because God is crea- creator, mm-hmm. he is Father of all. This goes beyond that, but it's yeah, it's a relationship, like... and and you don't have the right to come to to God unless you have this relationship. In fact, in fact, we should be running away from God. Right, right. He is fearful, and he Jesus is says, "No one comes to the Father except through me." So this is a Christological statement, too. I mean, it, it, by all accounts, you should be running away and hiding from God, like Adam and Eve in the in the in the garden. But because the relationship's different, precisely because of what Christ did, he is not tyrant to you. He is father. He is father. And so that word is just so, so great. I mean, it's just, it's packed full of meaning. And so we really begin this prayer with Christ as well. Then it's Christ who gives it to us. It's Christ who allows us to come to the father. It's Christ who says, I and the father are one. And then we will pray first, hallowed be thy name. Uh, What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy by itself, but we pray in this petition that we too may keep it holy. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when his word is taught in its truth and purity, and we as children of God lead holy lives according to it. Let us do this, dear Father in heaven, but whoever teaches and lives contrary to God's word dishonors God's name among us. Keep us from doing this, dear Father in heaven. Mike, any thoughts on God's name? he doesn't give a set name here. He doesn't right. say what he even means by that. What what comes to mind for God's name? Name's a big deal in the Old Testament, right? Um, you don't mess with somebody's name. It's kind of an old world thing for us. Like a, a family name means something that doesn't mean as much to us in a in a middle class American uh, situation. Um, but remember what God said to Aaron when he gave that blessing in Numbers chapter 6. He says, and I'll put my name on them. I'm going to tattoo them. They belong to me. Again, we're talking baptism again, right? The, and he has uh, us put his name, our name, his name on ourselves again and again in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sign of the cross, stuff like that. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, hallowed. Oh, and so by just continue that thought about the name. If you do something in the name of somebody, that has power to it, right? It has the power of the office, right? And what bigger office is there than creator, right? If we want to call it an office. Um, certainly the office of Christ has, has some power there. And so how is God's name hallowed? And, and we have to explain it, right? Halloween, the eve before All Saints Day, a holy day, a hala day, right? A holy day. Um that uh, this is this is just saying that it's holy, it's set apart for something great. And so we have a connection to the second commandment here, right? Uh, that we don't misuse God's name. Uh, we do it, we, we, would, we would use it for this particular thing, which is to call upon him in times of trouble. Um, and then how do we keep God's God's name holy? Well, it's trusting him, right? It's trusting him. And if we do trust him, then we are going to want to, and we are going to do this as saints, but we're going to mess it up as sinners. We are going to live up to that name. We are going to speak words of kindness to people. We're going to be loving. We are going to follow God's rules, not not slavishly in the sense that we have to approve something to him or to somebody else. But we think about this a lot. You know, I mean, it matters what the Christian church says publicly uh, about politics and stuff like that, because we can give a, a, a false reputation to the church, and, and that, 
then therefore a false reputation about God. And so um, we want God's name to be holy, and we're asking God to, for us, work in us this sense of holiness and awe that we respect his name that has been put on us, right? If his name is put on us, then we are his ambassadors. We are doing something in his name like an ambassador would do um, in our political system. And then we're going to get thy kingdom come. What does this mean? God's kingdom certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may also come to us. God's kingdom, uh, how does God's kingdom come? And this is important. God's kingdom comes when our heavenly father gives his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead a godly life now and forever in earth. Um, here the, the tying of the kingdom with the spirit. Um, we think of Jesus saying God's kingdom is within you or among you, depending on which translation we use. But the idea that the that God's kingdom is uh, the kingdom of faith, being brought to faith. This is not a kingdom that we're called to establish on this earth. And that may sound obvious, but if you study church history, there's been plenty of times where people have confused that. God's kingdom is not tied necessarily to the size of a church building or of a denomination, um, or to its budget, uh, but it is tied to faith and then faith lived out in love for neighbor to the glory of God. Uh, and so his kingdom coming is the hearing of faith uh, through which the Spirit then works in and through us. Mike, anything I'm missing on that? Yeah, idea? we already talked about the two kingdoms in this class already. You know, uh, the kingdom is... It, Visible, visible and invisible, right? The church being the visible church versus the invisible church. Probably a better way to think about it is a visible church and a hidden church. Yeah. So we're talking about the spiritual realm here. How does God kingdom, <coughs> kingdoms come? Well, through the word of God creating people that believe, creating faith in people. Um, that's what it's about. Um, and you can't write quite pinpoint it. You can see it. So we got to be very careful that we're not equating this with God's kingdom in an outward sense because... Yeah, generally you're going to see great things in the kingdom, right? Churches are built. That's fantastic. Um, you know, there is there the Christian faith um, is going to affect culture. Yeah, that's great. That's a that's a, 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 a one of the things that happens when people when the kingdom does come. Um, but it's not something I can put my finger, I draw a line around because it's in hearts. And in the background, of course, is. God coming down to judge and bring us to, to heaven too, but that's not the primary issue here. Um, that That is almost a, a side note that the kingdom down here is equal to the kingdom in heaven, and one day they're going to be one again. So, yeah, I'm good stuff about the kingdom. Okay, third petition, your will be done on earth as in heaven. What does this mean? God's good and gracious will certainly is done without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done. When he breaks and defeats every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, which try to prevent us from keeping God's name holy and letting his kingdom come. And God's will is done when he strengthens and keep us, keeps us firm in his word and in the faith as long as we live. This is his good and gracious will. And a couple points there. This is one of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer that our Lord himself, uh, in a very pronounced way, prays. I think this is... One of the two hardest petitions for me in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, and then forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of those who sin against us. And notice that the Lord prays both of them. Um, he On the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, and then in Gethsemane, he famously prays, thy will be done, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, right? Um, 
notice also where God, where Luther locates God's will. When we think of God's will be done, I bet often our thoughts go to first article things. Mm-hmm. That his will will be done, um, that I will get this promotion, or that, you know, that coronavirus will do this or that. Um, and that's not that to say that God doesn't have a good and gracious will in those things as well. But notice how um, Luther locates it explicitly in God combating um, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. So this petition is in some ways praying against ourselves, right? Absolutely. God work against my flesh even in me, um, which means there may be some crosses. Uh, and when is his will uh, done? When he strengthens and keeps us in the word and in faith. That this is the special focus of our focusing upon God's will. And this is especially important too. We've talked about in some of these other sessions, <clears throat> avoiding trying to read into God's will where he's not revealed it, trying to learn about God where he's not revealed it. His, that of his will which we can know is that he desires through the means of grace to strengthen our faith um, and to uh, undo the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh when it comes to, to fallen plans and, and ways. Yeah, I just want to echo the, uh, you know, pray for the Corvette, pray for the promotion, pray for it, be bold. Our, our problem is not that we're praying. Mustang. Yeah, like, our we're, Mustang. We're a Ford podcast. <laughs> don't, don't, our problem is not that we pray for too much like we're selfish, selfish, indulgent children. Our, our, our problem is we don't pray for bigger things, right? As if God was too small or if we want to impress God with our humble piety. Um, but then that thy will be done, we're kind of saying, yeah, just cancel everything that's not good for me and good for the world, right? And so it is kind of a powerful thing. And, and something we should mention that uh, the Father and the Spirit and the, and the Son are already going back and having a conversation about us right now. You know, I mean, there, there are, you know, our prayers are pretty small compared to the groans of the Spirit and the, and the, uh, the uh, Christ advocating for us before the Father. And so, you know, you... you don't worry. If you pray for something that's bad for you, don't worry about it. He's got it covered. He's yeah. got it covered. So. The fourth petition, this is the one that deals with the physical, but not only the physical. This can deal with the spiritual as well if we're thinking of the bread of life. Um, but it's, we take the daily bread here in a physical sense mm-hmm. for the most part. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God surely gives daily bread without our asking, as is evidenced by any time you've eaten lunch without having prayed for yeah. it beforehand. Um, even to all the wicked, but we pray in this petition that you would lead us to receive, to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What then is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything we need for our bodily welfare, such as food and drink, clothing and shoes, house and home, land and cattle, money and goods, a godly spouse, godly children, godly workers, godly and faithful leaders, good government, good weather, peace and order, health, a good name, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. And I'll just simply point out here, if you were using the Lord's Prayer as a springboard for prayer, sometimes praying the small catechism is helpful this way. Think about how many things you could be praying for right now in connection with this petition, even if you just went through and said, um, Lord, I pray for good government. I pray for our president, for our Congress, for our governor, for my mayor, um, for health workers, for the police, for good weather, Lord, uh, that we may, you know, uh, have uh, this earthquake recovery in uh, in Utah or whatever the case may be, peace and order, health, um, all these things that could tie in here. But what comes to mind for you, Mike, with daily bread? It's the whole shebang, right? It's everything. And, and we cannot help. I mean, I you know, 
save your accusations of allegory uh, for a, for a different time. Email me with that, and I'll don't you know, email uh, me. Uh, I'll email Bug I, Mike, but I will delete it. I won't look at it. Put it. Make sure it's allegory. Well, then fine. The, email it to me, and I'll be sure to read it out loud. <laughs> if it, but just please put in the subject line allegory <laughs> accusation, and then. It, but you cannot help but think about Jesus being the bread of life here, and so I'm asking for the whole thing. You know, Jesus is. All things are created through him. And so, yeah, it's not about just my life right now. It's about my life forever. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we're talking specifically about <laughs> these physical things and it's everything, right? It's everything. And I've always thought that God pulls away his love from us. We just kind of wither and die, right? Uh, he's not a deistic God who is disjointed from the world, but we need him for all of these things. And that we are claiming that he is in control of these things right? He's in control of these things. And therefore it's right for us to pray for our daily things. And Hey, I hate to bring it up again, but vocation, right? I mean, this is how it's going to be carried out through these various vocations. And so when we're praying for daily bread, we're praying for the farmer and we're praying for the grocer and everybody else. All right. Fifth petition, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins or because of them deny our prayers. For we are worthy of none of these things for which we ask, neither have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So too we will forgive them, or forgive from the heart and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Mike, thoughts? I wish Luther would have started his explanation of this like he did does the other ones where he says, surely God's going to give us his daily bread, even if we don't ask, surely he's going to do this. I, I think it would have been helpful. If he said, God's also, I mean, he says it implies it. God's going to forgive us. Even if we don't forgive other people, this is a tough one because you, you'll hear many people say, uh, I've even heard I, famously, uh, Bobby Bowden, the great, uh, football coach for Florida state who had, uh, you know, was a Christian man for sure. Um, um, and he, but he, he would take in athletes that let's say in the, you know, the eighties and nineties that were maybe not always the best citizens. And, uh, so he'd get criticism. How could you allow the, your, your boys to be running around, you know, Friday night and then all this kind of stuff and still let them play football. And he said, I know I t- was taught by my Lord that I'm supposed to be forgiving. And if I'm not f- forgive if I'm not forgiving, then I'm not going to be forgiven, right? That's not what this is saying, right? We're just saying, just as we forgive sins, which we all have at least at one occasion, a couple of occasions, you know, even the, the most angry of people, we want that done to us, right? We want that, we want, as we have been in the footsteps of the, fa- in, the, in, the in the shoes of the Father to forgive, so we are on the other side, and we want to be forgiven, too. That's the way I take it. I don't know how you taught that. It's kind of a tough one, Yeah, I think the way uh, it's worded. And I think here with this petition, we get to the heart of the Christian faith, that our relationship with God is one that is based on forgiveness. Um, so we have a God who, when we were yet enemies with him, reconciled us to him, uh, who justifies the ungodly. And so what does being forgiving do? And I think this is the main thing that Luther's getting at here. Being forgiven here leads to forgiving other people. And so Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant who's forgiven a debt and then a huge debt and then goes, imagine being forgiven all your student loans and then your roommate owes you $5 and you Mm -hmm. go and you shake him down or her down for $5. That forgiveness breeds forgiveness. This Mm -hmm. is just how the relationship will go. 
And so um, while I agree there's abuses on in that ditch, as you mentioned, Mike, there can abuses, be abuses on the other side of the ditch as well um, where faith without works is dead, mm-hmm. um, that uh, to an extent the depth to which we understand our own sinfulness and the forgiveness we've received will be reflected. So I think we need to avoid both. Um, this is not a new works righteousness. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand, too, what we mean by forgive. Sometimes people will take this to think, especially if they've been abused, they've suffered something traumatic, um, to think that that forgiving uh, you know, means that they have to try to just completely forget this has happened, nothing's ever happened, yeah, yeah. and they remain in perhaps what is a dangerous situation. This does not mean we shouldn't be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Yeah. Um, if your roommate keeps stealing your wallet from your drawer, forgive your roommate, but may, maybe also keep or stop leaving your <laughs> your wallet in your drawer. Uh, this is not also a um, you know a uh, a scorekeeping thing. Um, the fact of the matter is, you can never possibly forgive everyone who has sinned against you. Mm-hmm. You don't just as you don't know all your sins, you don't know all the sins that have been committed against you. I gossip about Mike all the time. I was he has say, no clue. I was going to say, I badmouth you. I was just, yeah. we, we're on the same page here. I was just yeah. about to say, I badmouth you all the time. I can't possibly <laughs> forgive you every time. Um, but yeah, I think so. There's the two ditches that can be <coughs> avoided in, in this regard. And maybe one thought. I wonder if we're badmouthing each other to the same people. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, well, one more thing, you know, it's not like, oh, Father, forgive me for the very first time. <coughs> just as I forgive other people, that would be terrible. If you're already in the Lord's prayer and you've already made it to the sixth petition, you already are forgiven, right? Right. You're already in the situation where you've already been forgiven and have forgiven other people, right? We're already gone through the cycle of justification and sanctification already. Right. (laughs) And so, uh, it's just, yeah, you're right. I like that. You said this is the Christian life. All right. Seventh petition. Okay. Seventh petition. Oh, wait, no, we're, Six. Six, sorry. That's fine. Lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God surely tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And though we are tempted by them, we pray that we may overcome and win the devil, or win the victory, not win the devil. Um, We think of elsewhere, we can speak of prayer as a ratio, meditatio, tentatio, so, uh, the Christian, the Christian life, life, that life is, is. Oh. and prayer, meditation, and temptation or anfectun or testing. Te- it's impossible to avoid temptation in a fallen world. You can't drive down the road and avoid temptation. Um, you can't consume media and avoid temptation. You can't even in the most loving relationships in your life, lives uh, have those relationships and avoid temptation, whether it be temptation, anger, temptation, envy, you, you can pick one. Uh, and yet we, we ask here that the, the Lord will, will keep us as much as possible from temptation. And we remember that promise that God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can be, uh, bear, but will prepare a way out. So as Luther says, though we are tempted by them, that does, this does not mean an escape from temptation in this world, but rather that God, God would guard and, and keep us um, so that we may not be deceived and led into false belief or despair. And notice he leads with that, and then other great and shameful uh, sins, but especially leading with false, with false belief and despair, that which would obscure Christ, in mm-hmm. our view, um, and that which would lead us to despair of his grace. Yeah, it's tight language here. God, you know, <laughs> certainly God doesn't tempt anybody. And so we have this uh, this fine line where we say, 
Yes, the source of evil and temptation <coughs> is not God, but he's in charge of this yeah. so-called evil. And so I can rightfully say God has placed me in a position that we right, rightly call temptation. And yet I can also say, even if it sounds paradoxical, that he does not lead me into temptation. I like, uh, you know, that the phrase, God's not going to give you more than you can bear. He's not going to give you more than, than whatever. I kind of like to say, God's not going to give you more than you can bear, but most of the time he's going to give you just about everything yeah. you can. Right. Yeah. And so uh, this is, uh, it's not a rah, rah speech here, right? Where he's not going to give me anything I can bear. I just need to try harder. What he is saying is that he's in control of this. It's going to be okay. Even if you get slammed a little bit here, it will be good for you. And finally, you know, if it's not until heaven, maybe, but you can, you can rejoice with St. Paul in your sufferings. And then we will make our way to the seventh and final position or petition. I can't talk are we on number four or five of these today? Four or five. One, two, three, four. This is our fourth. No, fifth, sixth. No, four. Four. So I, I hope our listeners and students bear with us. We're, uh, we've been putting in the time. We're doing Marathon four, session. five, six of these a day. I'm doing videos in addition. Mike's doing work in addition. And we could, we, could, we could work out all day, and we would still be less tired than after these marathon yeah, sessions. Yeah, so um, but we're trying to get enough content for students to be able to work in an asynchronous setting um, at their own pace. So, the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil, what does this mean? In conclusion, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would deliver us from every evil that threatens body and soul, property and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. And I noted before, sometimes at this petition in the Lord's Prayer, Christians will do the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a reminder of their baptism and that God delivers us from evil as his dear children, right? Our deliverance comes from him. And so we, we remind ourselves, we put that name on us that was put on us in baptism. But also we remember if he gave himself on the cross for us, um, how will he not then deliver us from all things? Think Romans 8, always a good chapter to read in this connection. Um, so Mike, anything that comes to mind with delivering from evil? Yeah, just the word deliver, I kind of like to play with that a little bit. If I'm going to deliver something from point A to point B, I'm moving something from another place. And so God take me out of evil, right? Literally pick me Which up. Which means there me will be else. evil in this life yep. if he's going to deliver us from it. But Yeah, so we're talking about heaven, but we're also talking about day-to-day things. And oh, if you're a theologian of the cross, you still understand that God may put on the mask of the devil. God may put on the mask of evil, and it's actually good. And so we call that uh, Dark Friday Good Friday, right? And so uh, often he delivers us from evil by taking that evil and making it good, right? It's not just that he delivers us from one position to another, but we may also he may also deliver us by taking that evil and making it something good. If for no other reason, then we are pushed into a corner until we have nowhere else to go but to him. All right, and then I don't want us to go too long with this, so we'll take the doxology. It's interesting, um, growing up in the Catholic Church, when my experience of the Lord's Prayer in a corporate setting was we would get through the seventh petition, and then there'd be a break, and the priest would would add some other prayers, right? He would have some stuff he would say, and then we would join in the doxology. And then I became a Lutheran, or I started going to Lutheran services, I should say, and they prayed the whole thing all at once, right? And that was kind of different to me. But remember, the doxology is not part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives. It's appended 
uh, in a way that makes sense. We often like to speak a doxology or a glory be at the end of psalms or at the end of prayers or even the last verse of a hymn. If you come to Matins, we're going to say it like three, four times. Yep. So the doxology has been added. And so from the catechism, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. What does this mean? We can be sure that these petitions are acceptable to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear for, hear us. Therefore, we say amen. Yes, it shall be so. And Mike, you are the worship prof on campus here. Uh, anything about doxologies in general or just the addition of the doxology here and how it relates to the Lord's Prayer? Um, anything on the amen? You go to yeah, worship service, you hear men all the time. Anything you might have done, pack on that. Well, I think it's a good summary, right? I mean, uh, when we think about kingdom, you know, we've already mentioned that about kingdom. We don't want to belabor the point there. Uh, the power, he has power to do this. We're, we're, we're testifying that he, has the, he is all-powerful and can do all of this according to his will. Glory is an interesting one because that can be a law term where we're like, we got to work for the glory of God, right? So if I hit a home run, I got to make sure I give glory to God and that kind of stuff. But remember the if we're giving God all of the glory, it means we give him credit. So first of all, it's credit for our salvation. I don't get the credit. He gets the credit. That, that is a, that's a good thing to remember. And then remember that working for the glory of God is shorthand for doing your job and loving your neighbor without any concern for giving God glory. Uh, so when parents see their children go out and they're not concerned about living up to the family name. They just go or go and live loving good lives. They're good citizens in their, in their, uh, in their condition. They fill out, they fill their vocations with honor and respect that is to their glory. Right. And so I always like to play with that word glory. And of course, forever and ever, we're talking about eternity and then amen. It is, this is true. Right. And so amen's a confession of faith. So when we have a creed after the word section in, in the, the service, we're saying amen to all of this. We agree. We stand and are counted. This is agreeable. So uh, that, that kind of leads us into should we be just praying with everybody? Well, hold on for a little bit here. When you're signing your name to this and you're saying this is true, you're asking to be counted. Um, you're saying I believe this. And so we are kind of careful with who we pray with. This is not being um, exclusive. We're just saying, hey, uh, are we agreeing on the same thing? I don't want to sign my petition, my sign my name to a petition that I don't agree with, right? I'm standing to be counted here. And so it is a confession of faith that people in the in the past, they took that very seriously and be, and they had to take it seriously because saying a prayer, a prayer like this may get you killed, right? Um, and so uh, amen's a big, powerful, powerful word and it's, and it's a Hebrew word. We don't get many Hebrew words that that make it all the way into um, uh, into our worship. There's a few, alleluia, uh, and stuff like that. But uh, amen's a big, powerful one. So, yeah, I think it's a good close to the Lord's Prayer. Even if you're Roman Catholic and you're not used to saying that doxology, that's okay. You're still going to say amen. And they yeah. usually will, yeah, say it um, after the priest. is. There's kind of just an in-between part there. But personally, like when you're... Oh, and there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't say it at, right, at right. home, yeah, so... Um, all right, well, that, that will uh, kind of lead us to our conclusion of our discussion of the Lord's Prayer. We hope you're enjoying these, whether you're students or listeners. Um, students, remember to be taking notes on the reading and then on this. Um, be checking your emails for communications. A number have come out that you should be following. We hope everyone is staying healthy and doing as well as possible. Uh, times are changing quickly, and in these uh, changing times, the one thing we know for sure 
uh, will be the same yesterday and today and tomorrow as that in God's grace and the freedom of the gospel, we can let the bird fly.